You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the flagship We Are Libertarians podcast. Oops. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. This is another episode of The Swamp Explained with Rob Cortell and myself. I'm Chris Spangle. And our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. And one of that and that includes talking about the government as it exists now. And there is no bigger topic in the libertarian world than what a big <laughs> swampy mess Washington, D.C. is. And so what we do here is uh, talk through the swamp and how it works and how it operates. And uh, I am joined by Rob Cortell, and he's worked for Republican presidential campaigns, government agencies like the EPA. He's been confirmed by the Senate to the U.S. Federal Maritime Commission. He's been a candidate for Congress and Senate, and he's also spent years working in private technology in, in that sector, working with startup companies. So uh, Rob always gives us great insight into how things work there in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, looking back, Rob... It must be rough for all the swamp monsters now that uh, the official uh, swamp ender has has lost the election, or has he? Uh, what, what's well, your, it's a good what, question. I think take? the swamp may have swallowed him. <laughs> Is this over or not? What do you think? I I think uh, I you know I actually think that in some ways he's a victim of the swamp. Hmm. You know, he his uh, particular personality, his uh, mo. Um, his lack of knowledge about it, yeah, which should be a lesson. Um, his indifference to uh, the process that's been developed. Of course, all of that says he's not a conservative, which we've talked about now for several years here, right? Um, but uh, but in the end, uh, I think he was beaten not just by his own personality, but partly by the amplification of its flaws by the the press. Uh, the establishment, uh, uh, bureaucrats, uh, his his uh, supposed friends uh, in D.C., and uh, you know, I think it's a it was a, it's a mistake for him. It, it was a mistake, and to, to uh, run for president. Now they're, they're, well, you know, he's I you know I've said it before. I think he could have actually accomplished more, and. Uh, uh, and left less of a sort of a nasty trail in his right. wake. Uh, but he, that's not the path he chose. And it's not the path he typically has chosen uh, throughout his life. So, you know, but I, you know, you want to find a victim of the swamp. He's a victim of the swamp. I think this is an, an, an interesting question, especially for libertarians who are outsiders who do look at, you know, there's a lot of populism in the libertarian movement, which is defined as anti-elitism, um, let's say Joe Jorgensen had won the presidency and, and walks into the Oval Office on January 21st uh, or January 20th. Um, they're going to face a lot of the same challenges that Trump faced, and he was antagonistic to the press, to the elites, right. to financial industry, to pretty much everybody, and that's sort of the hallmark of his in, his entire life. 
you know, if you watch Trump, an American something or other on Netflix, I mean, his whole career has been antagonizing people like Michael Bloomberg. And then Michael Bloomberg goes, well, I've always hated that guy. So let me drop hundreds of millions of dollars to defeat him. You know, is is that the single greatest weakness of Donald Trump is that he wasn't willing to uh, to cooperate or learn or change? He just said, by, sh- for- sh- by force and will, I'm going to impose myself because of the power of my position on everyone else. And was that was that in hindsight his biggest mistake? Um, uh, yes, in in some ways, you know, I cannot help but uh, flash back to the image of him uh, the day he visited Obama two days after the election four years ago, and Obama congratulated him the next morning after the election, and then Trump arrived the following day at the White House. And you have you must remember the president on the one side and Trump on the other with this look on his face like, oh, my God, you know, (laughs) just like I have to deal with this. And what have I wrought? Actually, it reminded me at the time of my granddaughter who, uh, well, my daughter, actually, (laughs) not not my granddaughter, um, a long time ago. Uh, when we she she was the firstborn, and then we decided to have a second child, and we um, found out it was a boy, and we had a living nanny who, who stayed with us thirty years. Um, we used to joke she would start by changing our children's diapers and end by changing mine, but <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um, she really got into it, and she started um, uh, asking my daughter, then two and a half wouldn't you like to have a baby brother? Wouldn't you like to have a baby brother? You'd love to have a baby brother, wouldn't you? And uh, and then when she got her to think that was the right thing, she said, why don't you ask mommy and daddy for a baby brother? And so she comes to us and says, can I have a baby brother? And of course, I had to, well, okay, let's do that. <laughs> and and um, uh, we, some months later, my wife goes to the hospital, my then three-year-old daughter um, puts on the fanciest dress she has, <laughs> and um, we take her to the hospital to greet her mother and her new baby brother. And I have a picture of her still in her dress on the bed holding her baby brother and l- with this look of horror <laughs> on her face. I asked for this. <laughs> right. And I, I tell you, the day he arrived at the Obama White House, he looked like that. Yeah, and um, and it, you know, many you saw people. It on a, specu- it's you saw huh? it on inauguration day. I mean, the, I'll never. It wasn't for- even inauguration day. This was two days after the election. I'll never forget <laughs> and- watching it, and, and you see the Obamas are thrilled. They have the biggest smiles on their faces. They're ha- so happy. It's like right, you know. And then it pans over Let to Trump and Melania, <laughs> and Trump and Melania are just like dour and grumpy. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he well, ever really wanted to be. Uh, well, president. you know, the, 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 the finale to my story about my daughter and her baby brother is about a month later, she came to us and said, can you take him back? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, Trump, unfortunately, for all, the, all of us, you c- couldn't give it back. <laughs> and, That's sort of how I felt I, watching this campaign is that he wasn't really trying. It wasn't 2016 Trump who was trying <clears throat> and, and was funny and likable and like, you know, was making he wasn't the the angry dour awful trump of the last like four months you know there's there's yeah. almost like he anything he knew he that, that that like 
He was trying to lose almost. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. Well, people in the White House have said that, that they think he was trying to lose. <clears throat> and there was speculation early on because he didn't seem to be enjoying it very much that he would be, uh, he'd just be a one-termer. Well, he was a one-termer, but right. that wasn't the plan. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, now it's all about 2024 and all the rest of this BS. And, you know, we know he's not going to be, uh, I, I honestly don't believe the other candidates in the party, the Rubios and the, Sad, the Rubios and the Ted Cruz's and the others who actually had to get away with it if he survives that long. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, he, he really, he, uh, I think he mucked it up and there are n- numerous things that you and I and others would agree are accomplishments, but they are so flawed in, um, the way they were sold and, and, and the failure of, of, uh, of support and all that. Of course, there are many things that no matter what he did, the press would have jumped on him. And I, I agree with him on that. You know, he sure. has every right to feel beaten up by the press, but he, 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 you know, you have to feed them. They're like sharks. And um, so, and, and of course now the transition is actually going to happen without him. And I mean, you and I might want to speculate what it's going to be like, you know, on January 20th, is he going to be there or not? <laughs> what? Um, well, let's, let's jump back because I want to, I have done a transition, so I, we may want to talk about that. And I definitely works. do, but I want to, I want to kind of keep on this vein because I think if you're listening and you're a hardcore libertarian and anarchist, dare I say that, Still well, they're not the, the same thing, That'd but right. let's say you are you are elected president. How do you deal with the swamp if you if you can't be antagonistic and that and that sinks you? Then how would you handle it? Let's say you get elected president because this is one of my arguments: is like the populist message, the antagonism towards these these folks isn't necessarily helpful. Because wouldn't it be better to have a dialogue and open conversation with them? I mean, how would you handle this? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. So on both sides. So, and, and I don't know how much people know about the, the history of the transition, but you know, the, there used to be a gap, the, 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 um, um, the electoral college met December and then the president was sworn in back in up in March. And then, uh, I think it was in, um, um, you know, probably, well, the 20th amendment, the constitution, 1933, moved the beginning and the end from March to January 20. And, and that closed up the period. And then, um, and then uh, some, sometime in the sixties, they passed the presidential transition act and, and it gives you resources, you know? So, so Trump is going to need the, the um, he is going to want in any case uh, the cooperation of the bureaucrats in the swamp when he builds his library, which he's going to want to build and he can even pay for it with his own money, but he's still going to have to deal with the swamp in terms of his papers. You know, people, presidents used to own their papers uh, uh, from their administration. Of course, mm-hmm. now there are so many, they, they generate as much in a day as all of George Washington's eight years. And, um, and his were lost, you know, in a fire, a lot of those papers and well, several I'm, others. I'm talking about as president. Like if you were elected president, I mean, how do you not? Make oh, you need thing? it. You want it. How, you how do you that. not make the same mistake? But also if you get elected on this this populist message of I'm against the swamp and against the elites, like are, are you? The, the, you're, the, the big mistake there, and he, he did go in. He had a great transition. You know, the Obama people, notwithstanding what he said, uh, you know, the other day about how it was terrible, horrible transition. <laughs> the reality is he turned around at his um, inaugural speech and thanked Obama for a fabulous transition. Now, transitions between opposing camps are always a little 
awkward anyway. You know, they they uh, said that the um, some of the Clinton people, you know, left uh, computer messages and stuff to for George W. Bush. Stole the keys. Some of the W. Bush people did for Obama, and probably some of the Obama people did for Trump. But by and large, these are very cooperative efforts. And if you're incoming, and if you were he, he got everything he needed. What he did not have, he first of all, he didn't expect to win. So. Everybody has a transition planning effort. When I was in, um, in the president, you know, in the Bush campaign, the, the people there was a whole separate group of people planning about the what if. If he wins, what are the some of the key things we want to be ready on day one and day two and day three and day four, and um, and uh, under the Transition Act, uh, you know, there's a commission set up um, that spends between every administration. Uh, pulling all the papers together and the organizational structure of the government and all the briefing books just sort of outside of all this process. And they convene the the two camps um, that if you win, this is what's going to happen for you. And then, you know, you have the official process with GSA, which we can call, talk about too. Um, but, but the reality is he had a good transition. What he failed was to transition from being a candidate to being a president mm. effectively. And you and I have talked about this numerous times that they're the first thing a president has to do is take over the government. And the way you take over the government is you send in your army of political appointees. Now he did send in uh, a lot of people in the transition and uh, he, he sent people in to monitor the people he sent in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I had friends all during that period uh, talking about that and who were, sent into the agency to be the uh, the sort of the policy guy, the lead. And then they'd send in some young hack to report on him or her. Um, yeah, there was some then, some guy that was like his ba- – literally carried his bags and was super yeah. loyal to him. And then he got appointed to head of the uh, office that does all the, the uh, personal affairs, all the, basically. All the personnel. Yeah, yeah. all the personnel. Well, and that, this guy basically just that, appointed a bunch of like probably less. Uh, it's probably less – um, shocking than you might think, but yeah, <laughs> but, I'm sure it happens. But, yeah. But, but, you know, George Bush appointed, uh, Chase Unermeyer and, um, <laughs> he had, he was, uh, you know, Chase was a longstanding, uh, uh friend and colleague and an, an adult. And, and, uh, he knew who, who, everyone who George Bush knew, and he knew everyone he wanted to bring into the process. And so, um, so, so and that so the transition is a complex process, and but you really want to take everybody over, and then you, within some short period of time you want to be running the place. And one of Trump's problems was he, in, in my opinion, he could never establish policy in any of the agencies early on because he just didn't get people in it long enough. And then he did things like he did with, uh, you know, the Defense Department and others. He he. As the three or four years moved on, he kept uh, firing people, and and that may be fun on a TV show, but it's not great for I think loyalty he, or consistency or constancy or <laughs> or execution of any kind of programs. So, yeah, because when you you're know. exercising political power, I mean, part of exercising political power is l- that long-lasting influence in the government for generations. Totally. I mean, there are people retiring now that were appointed by Clinton that had a long career, and now all those positions he didn't fill are going to be filled by Biden's team, and that's he he missed an opportunity oh. to really influence the government in a in a free market direction. But that's probably because of course he what he would yeah, but what he will, he will say his supporters is oh well he appointed all these judges right, and he in fact he did indeed appoint a lot of judges, 
And that's one where uh, Mitch McConnell basically uh, skunked Obama uh, unfairly, in my sure. opinion. But, um, you know, he held up judge judge um, uh, processes and everything else. So but Trump filled every s- single slot in the legis- in the judiciary that he could possibly fill. Yeah, and- but that's the thing about Trump is that. Yeah, he appointed a lot of judges, but everything that was effective was done by Congress, Mitch McConnell, the Swamp Monsters, and everything that he managed Completely. fell apart. And, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, like well, and these judges, and these judges, he has no idea who any of them are. Right. He, and, of course, they're all going to be very conservative, very Republican. Oh, by the way, largely swamp, right. <laughs> you know. Right. So, they're, you know, I would, I would hazard a guess that probably 90% uh, coming out of the society are going to be um, – um, very traditional in their you know, judicial mindset, but he wanted that, you know, he didn't want kind of so-called activists and all right. the rest. So, um, so if, if you're, if you're Mitch McConnell, you pat yourself on the back because you got Trump to appoint all these judges that, that followed your own, your own path. And since, since Trump has no path and had no ideology or any of that stuff, you know, he's, he didn't put, a personal imprint, but he did put an administration imprint on the judiciary. So, and that will be long lasting. Mm-hmm. And, and the judges, I mean, uh, he's appointed will be there another 30 years. What would you say were like the top three things from a candidate perspective that he did that really sealed his fate? Um, I mean, is it just the, the fact that he didn't have managed, he didn't manage the bureaucracy in the way that like a Clinton, you know, Clinton managed it through all of his crises and ended with a, a great approval rating, probably would have won a third term despite being impeached, you know, and it's because he, he was able to kind of manage the message and, and the bureaucracy. Some, is well, like that I would one say that I'm not sure that anything he did as president um, led to his losing. Mm. I'll be honest. I think it's all personality driven and um, and polling polling in, in on his side. You know, he kept saying his gut was he was going to do better in these places than the polls are showing. And he his gut was right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they probably could have thrown some more money into a few other places and probably narrowed the gap. Um, uh but I'd say that the positive things he did have not particularly helped him other than the uh, stimulus at the end. And you can't, you can't, um, notwithstanding what everybody says, you really can't blame the whole Corona crisis on him. It, sure. it, uh, you can blame, uh, some of the screw ups at the beginning on him, but you can also blame it on Obama and George W. Bush and other people who came before who didn't refill the reserves after the SARS and all the other things. And, um, but th- those are not, you know, it's not finger pointing, but he, he failed to lead the public in a direction that um, would have gotten the public to act in a way that was responsible. And that was very deliberate on his part. And if you listen to the uh, taped interviews, uh, you know, that Woodford, Woodward did with him, where he actually knows it's much more serious than he's saying all these things, you know, he knew but it's the way he, it's the way he is. And so, so the one thing he could have done better to get himself reelected is, is the, uh, is leading the public on masks and COVID. But I'll tell you what, from a purely, uh, from an accomplishment standpoint, this vaccine is happening Two vaccines, maybe four vaccines, and they're happening faster than the news for months has been pounding us. 
um, and they are being done in a safe way. And oh, by the way, thank you, Swamp, because <laughs> <laughs> no matter what he did, um, couldn't couldn't accelerate it beyond what money would buy. Although the processes have been truncated and accelerated, and, and that's fine, um, uh, but. Um, no one's going to do anything unsafe at the FDA and CDC or any of these other places handling it. So, so his impatience to get it out was a good thing in a sense. Um, the press's denial of that as logical was harmful to him. Uh, uh, now uh, they're thanking Fauci and these guys for the vaccine, but right. It was Trump him hadn't said I want the vaccine by so and so it wouldn't have happened. It he wanted it by election year, day. Right? Yeah, and that's all these everybody was like, "Oh, now they're announcing the vaccines the week after the election. Yeah. Convenient timing." And I'm going, "I didn't follow the vaccine news very closely, but pretty much everything every press conference Trump was talking about how it was going to be available by by election day. I mean, it was it was a constant drumbeat. And, I, and so is it is it ready and out and available? Cause I remember in April, like it was going to take four years to do a vaccine and it was going to be a long process. And now it's here in nine months. And I'm like, um, is that because they just poured so much federal dollars into these, into yes, these uh, companies? And so promised- they did a couple things. In some cases, they actually, um, they poured money into the research itself and the processes in these companies and in other cases where the companies would not accept the money, they gave them contracts. So like Pfizer wouldn't, quote, accept the money, but Pfizer got, what, $2.5 billion or something to produce, um, you know, tens of millions of doses. And they're already produced. So they, what they've done is they've, rather than a linear process and, you know, do this, then do that, then do this, then do that, wait till you finish each process. They, they broke it into a bunch of pieces. They felt high degrees of certainty about the science behind the new vaccines. And they began production of the vaccine months ago, months ago. Before so, approval, basically. Pfizer and, and all of these guys. And, and that was because the government gave the money or made a contract with them to, um, to pay for this up front. And, um, and, you know, in reality, they have done the same thing on the, the COVID testing. I went down and got my test today because I wanted to get it. This, you know, it's being filmed the Sunday before or, or, you know, done the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I've got some guests coming in and everybody's having to take a test. Totally free. Drive in, totally free. Uh, easy process. Um, took a long time to ramp up, but all these things do take a long time to ramp up. Um, uh, so ba- I think so some basically, of the science, they, they, let me- the science around. The but, vaccine is phenomenal. So they, you know, they basically they produced it before the FDA approval. They start producing it. Um, they're making. They, they've tested it. They've they've done. You know they do a series of trials with smaller groups, and then they go into a full blown trial of what thirty thousand people or something. And you know one of them had to adjust because they didn't have enough minorities uh, in it, uh, which is really important. Um, and because sometimes, you know, race and, and, and gender and all these things can have an effect on the efficacy of vaccines and other medicines, as we all know. Um, but, but the manufacturing process started months ago and it's being finished. And so, you know, they've been cranking these things out and, and, um, and it's, but it was, they use new, new gene technologies. They've used traditional processes. Traditional processes take forever. But here's the kind of thing I was thinking about it this morning when I heard it um, that is the bureaucracy versus everyone else and the urgency. So 
um, uh, Al- Al- Alice Al- Alcazar, Alizar, the uh, Secretary of HHS, Health and Human Services, was on today saying, or yesterday saying, you know, we're pushing all these millions of doses out and it's going into FDA approval. And someone says, well, how long is that f- approval process? And Fauci as well. And it's, well, it takes a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, mid-December. Well, they're reviewing data. <laughs> okay. Um, they've already looked at it several times. Um, this is the kind of thing that if they weren't bureaucrats, they would say, why are we taking three weeks? Uh, they used to take three months <laughs> or three years. Who knows? But three weeks, they could throw people on this and get it done in three days. My my, my but, brain is kind of and, going, well, doesn't this belie the fact that we don't need these people at all? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, well, like, you need them. You need them because you want somebody to take you want a fall guy if it goes bad. <laughs> OK, well, <laughs> that's, that's what they're all afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> but right. I will say the bureaucracy here did their job. They, you know, they got yanked around and they got beaten up, uh, which is the way it is. We and. and if you've ever managed anything as big as th- this process, which most of us haven't, it just takes time and you can't anticipate every twist and turn. So I'll tell you, um, of the things that he did right, ultimately, that the government did right under his watch, um, it's that they accelerated the vaccine and they finally got the testing out. And, and um, you know, everybody can complain about it and they will keep complaining about it until uh, he's gone. And Biden will point the finger at him and blame him for it if it goes wrong, right. <laughs> you know. But um, I think that is an accomplishment in the end, and uh, who knows whether he'll get any credit for that. And I, I do think the economy in general um, over the first three years of the administration uh, was would have gotten him elected, reelected. I do had too. There been no COVID. Yeah, I, I think his. Um... If I were to answer my own earlier question, like I think January Trump is is sailing to a victory. Yep. But and we did talk about that. Then you get to the failure of testing. You get his his, uh, you know, his stunt at the church. You get the first debate. You get the threatening to undermine the elections like he just reinforced over 2020 all the things that people didn't like about him instead of talking about the things that he did right and that he did well and he tried to sneak some of that in with the economy or he tried to sneak in that he was non-interventionist in foreign policy and then he'd immediately blow it with by by just proving the left right about who this guy is all along and it's and that's the thing about trump is it's always two steps forward, one step back. And it's just, <laughs> if I were a Republican, I'd be so furious all the time But because for every win, there was always an, another loss or two to kind of erase that stuff. It wasn't just about the words. Well, it was just that he was yeah, so unfocused. Remember, he's, he also was, was leading them and they wouldn't follow on a number of <laughs> issues like the, 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 the need for another stimulus bill. Right. You know, Trump was saying 2.1, let's make it 2.6 <laughs> trillion dollars. Right. And it's because he's not a, fiscal genius i mean but he but he is he was correct you know and then now we got steve mnuchin out there uh shutting down some of the dollars that haven't been spent and and anybody with um a a jot of sense knows the economy is going to crater on december 31st unless they can deal with the unemployment continued unemployment at a lower level lower cost and and additional dollars into the economy and you know interest rates are zero they should just do it now so I keep seeing this, and let me ask you. Because, Exit later. Yeah, I haven't followed this, but like the stock market looks like it's a little above where it was in in February. Um, 
you know what what happens on December thirty first? What is this funding that everybody is panicking on that that run? It's something run out at the end of the year. Yes, yes. Um, so the Fed has the the authority to um, extend very very low interest loans um, and to people with higher risk. Uh, profiles. Um, they were talking about additional stimulus checks of twelve hundred dollars per person. Um, uh, they were um, they were trying to, you know, right now unemployment is set at six hundred dollars. They were going to drop to three hundred dollars because there was a lot of evidence that for many people it was better to be unemployed and get your six hundred dollars a week check than go work. Yeah. And and but they so there was a fix there. Um, there was aid that they you know a number of these. Uh, counties and cities and states are virtually bankrupt because they've picked up a lot of the expense of COVID that's not been picked up by the feds. Although, of course, they've also gotten a lot of extra money. I mean, here down in Virginia, we've gotten an extra two, $2 billion and, and that's been distributed down to the counties. And, you know, here I am in this little county of, of uh, 8,000 8, people and we got, um, uh, we got uh, almost $2 million. Um, so, a lot of that we're going to try to push into broadband, which they really need. By the way, and I do think broadband is one of the – if there's a good good thing coming out of COVID, it's the new vaccine processes, and it's more broadband. Um, and and people finally breaking some of the habits around education and business and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, that's probably another whole story. But um, so Mnuchin's basically um, – uh, he was trying to get the, sec- the stimulus bill that – cratered uh, because of uh, McConnell basically. And, and, um, and then, but he's now trying to cut back the money and, you know, the, the adult in the room in the last several major economic crises, the last 20 years have been the fed. Um, the federal reserve chairman had done um, what the, the political leadership wouldn't do, you know? And so, and Powell propped up everybody, banks, you know, loans, businesses, everybody. And so Mnuchin's cutting that off. And that's, I think it's a pretty stupid thing. It's, this is the, this is a victory for the swamp uh, in the sense of, um, in the sense of the traditional Republican, the budget guys who don't, who supposedly don't believe in debt unless it's their debt, (laughs) their stuff. Um, So if, if Mnuchin doesn't turn it, turn it around, it, it will be the victory for the, you know, that side of the Republican Party. I love uh, Ted Cruz kind of acknowledging, yeah, we'll probably go back to that whole debt thing now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, we've been watching the new um, The Crown mm. season four and Margaret Thatcher is the prime minister. And there's a um, uh, one of the episodes is around uh, the Commonwealth uh, when all of the of the uh, 48 of the 49 minute, uh, presidents or whatever, however many there was, uh, voted to impose um, sanctions on South Africa and all of that. And Margaret Thatcher was the only member of the Commonwealth who wouldn't sign the agreement. And of course, the Queen can't sign it. Um, but she was, in this telling of it, very embarrassed and, and angry uh, because she felt that Margaret had no uh, heart. And Margaret Thatcher in this telling, which is pretty consistent with what we know from the biographies and autobiography and everything else. She was a daughter of a grocer. She, you know, he taught her personal self-reliance, you know, don't worry about the rest of the crowd. Everybody has to pull themselves by their own bootstraps and, you know, and, and Britain under the first three or four years of her rule was, 
it was pretty bad. The unemployment skyrocketed and interest rates went up. And her whole reason to to increase unemployment was to get control of interest rates so she could bring them back down and use that as stimulus. But in the meantime, an awful lot of people suffered. So that's the kind of thing that resonates with a lot of my Republican friends. <laughs> right. And I'm saying that as a Republican, you know, that let them eat no, cake. <laughs> yeah. No, debt's bad. Well, you know, and if we didn't have debt, we wouldn't be nearly as great a country as we are because you use debt to finance the future. Right. So before we move on to Biden and what he's going to do, I have to ask you about Trump's last 18, 19 days and Rudy Giuliani and his leaking hair and their oh, lawsuits and the <laughs> and the undermining of, of the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Trump to uh, take this gracefully. Um, but what has been your impression of the the voter fraud and it's all rigged and it's been stolen from me act? Um, there there are a few things that turn your head a little bit. You know, we have the two Georgia counties where um, the votes were put on a on, in one case, the votes, of, if I understand it, were put on a, uh, uh, you know, a, a device for, and just they forgot to reinsert it. And, and count the 2,600 votes. And those uh, were modestly more for Trump. Um, and that narrowed the gap. And then there was another one where they double counted, if I understand it, when they stuck the the uh, device into the computer to count it. So, But that only made about an 800 vote difference, as I understand it. And now it's all been hand recounted. Uh, so that's the equivalent of an audit. And they had almost nothing after that. Um, other than those two things, as historically you get very little out of recounts, although sometimes you do. Um, and Michigan, I think anybody with a jot of sense has to be horrified by the jawboning of these electors. And you know the way that works is at the at the um, county level, you have two two Republicans and two Democrats, and in this case, it was two black Democrats and two white Republicans, and and they have to certify what comes out of the precincts and they, you know, they do it evenly so that one side can't steamroll or the other. But uh, in this case, um, obviously early in the process, someone got to the two Republicans and they wouldn't certify. And then they had a steady stream of people coming into the meeting protesting and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, poll workers and uh, on both sides. And so they ended up doing it. And then, you know, she gets a call from Trump and and then she says, well, I would like to take my vote back. Well, it's too late and <laughs> so on. So it's going it, to and it's been certified now. So and then, of course, the the he just makes himself look bad. And you have to. And frankly, he doesn't care because, you know, what the polling data shows is that 70 percent of Republicans believe that there has been fraud or some other kind of shenanigan in the vote. Yeah. And um that he would so undermine the process is really amazing. And people do people. And, and part of this is because people just don't understand how vote is counted. And, and, you know, every state has its own rules. That's the way it is in the constitution. Each state runs their own electors. There's no federal process. Um, and uh, that's deliberate. That is because we are a union of states and, um, and so he's trying to, he really is trying to throw some hail Marys, but, 
he doesn't have a very smart quarterback on this one, I'm afraid. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, he's using people's ignorance against themselves, and it, yeah. and it really frustrates yeah. me. And to stick up for my Republican friends, I'm starting to see the the more. I mean, I'm not going to say establishment types because, like, friends like my friend Mike or Mark or some of these, you know, they don't believe the election was overturned and stolen, and they don't believe in no. some of the Dominion stuff. They do think, all right, maybe there's some fishy stuff, kind of like you mentioned. But like that 70% number when it first came out, I was like, oh, wow. But I think we're at a point now after a week and a half where Discovery hasn't turned anything up and he's lost 30 lawsuits and only won one. And like I think it finally got to a point where everybody goes, all right, there's nothing here, and this guy's just being selfish and, and un-American, I don't think frankly. it's going to change anybody's mind. No. So, you know, I think 70% of the Republicans are going to still believe it. Um, of the so-called Republicans these days, and of course, what are Republicans are now only about thirty-five percent of the electorate. Yeah, and uh, Democrats are what about thirty-eight, and the rest are supposed independents. So, um, you know, I was on this. I had told you I um, I uh, go to this um, group I uh, called the, uh, the Committee of the Concerned, which is put on by the Niskanen Center, and it's a lot of really smart people um, uh, in political in politics. A lot of hand wringing and, you know, a lot of the never Trumpers and you hear some interesting stuff and uh, it's and I wouldn't reveal any of the detail of it. But a lot of them worked against Trump and Republicans and and uh, they were some of them were working with Trump before this, you know, before in the first election. Um, and there was a lot of rejoicing there, but also hand wringing about, okay, now what's going to happen to the Republican party now, you know, who's going to lead it. And, and uh, I just, I don't think there's a Republican party left. That's a, a bunch of real Republicans who are conservatives. I, I sort of threw out yeah. that. Why don't we have a third party? And I was, I was laughed out of the room virtually by some of these people. Yeah, because you're um, the crazy one. Um, yeah, right. Do, do you think no he, one would do a third party? What a what a crazy concept! Well, I want to I want to start one called Real Republicans. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, we're Berkey and conservatives. I have been having a ball the last like month with with these Tea Party uh, Republicans and the establishment Republicans who were, just change it from the inside. All it's all conspiracy theorists, nine eleven truthers, in the Libertarian Party, and I'm like, ha ha. Um, but do you think that he, uh, do you think he gets drug out of the white house? Does he, does he vacate the property? Does he show up to the inauguration? Like, what do you think that flashpoint looks like? I think he'll, I think he'll go to New York mm. with a family about a week before. And, and, right. And, and Melania will move everything out. Yeah. And, um, and then, um, 50 50 as to whether he shows up. Of course, 50 50 as to whether it's going to, what kind of inauguration it's going to be. You know, we're sure. still going to be in the middle of this. And I have just been trying like crazy to figure out what it's going to look like. You know, typically, um, and we haven't talked about how the transition works or when I was in the transition, but Start many there. years ago, but typically in the inauguration, you know, you have uh, the swearing in. There are hundreds of thousands of people in front of you. There's, there's a, a luncheon for the, new president uh, uh, inside with members of Congress and, and special guests. And, and then, and then they go home and change clothes and take a nap and, and party all night. And these parties are awful. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people coming to celebrate. And I have been through, you know, at least five or six inaugurations um, starting with Richard Nixon in 19, 
1968, when I was a freshman, I got an invitation because I'd been youth for Nixon. Uh, I was a freshman at Rice and traveled across country with two friends. And we had a great time because we were 18 or 19. We were going to the ball. We all got dressed up and 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 uh, I think I went down to Richmond and got my grandmother for one of them, <laughs> took her with me. But um, we had a great time. And then then you get to the real ones years later. And, and now these balls are 20, 30,000 people in a room. And, and you just are, you can't move. You can't dance. Yeah. Uh, you, you can barely drink because everything costs you money. Um, and the president always comes in and dances on the stage with his wife and uh, the cabinet. And then they swirl away and go to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And then uh, the next morning, there are lots of different parties. There are sort of after parties and sidecar parties. And, um, you know, for years, uh, a guy named Joe Albritton, who was the head of Riggs Bank, um, used to have a private event at his home uh, uh, on Fox Hall Avenue in Washington, which is a very Tony neighborhood. And I admit I used to live right up the street. And, um, and for a variety of reasons, including the fact that my wife was with the National Geographic and served on the Riggs board, um, we would always get invited. And, um, and uh, I guess that was also, uh, there was a group called uh, the Alfalfa Club, ah. which is a very limited membership. I, I don't know, it's 30 or 50 members, but that's another whole story about Washington. <laughs> but, you know, when the president would come and the, the last two presidents would come and everybody was, you know, and that, that was lovely. That was really a lot of fun. And, um, and maybe a hundred people and, and, uh, to be included was a, a big deal. You you have to wonder, like Biden is a guy who's dreamed about being president his whole life, obviously. Since he was 32. It, <laughs> basically has run four times. And like, I don't know that he's humble, but I guess compared to Donald Trump, he seems like Pope Francis. Um, and there may be <laughs> part of him that is, you know, probably bummed that he doesn't get the big inauguration with the, you know, on the steps of the Capitol and that big photo and all that, you know, because he's probably not going to get a second term or run for a second term. But there's also part of him that probably doesn't care as much as as maybe a, a younger, ambitious politician might. Um, so I, I am curious to see what that inauguration is going to look like, uh, you know, because yeah. I'm sure there's part of him that wants that big photo because he's been chasing that his whole time. But then there's. There's there's also part of me that thinks Joe Biden's the kind of guy that will like let Trump save face for the good of the country, for the good oh, of even would, Trump. If you know, Trump like, would allow himself to to do it. <laughs> I don't I don't know that Trump's going to do it. You know, right. and and of course this uh, the whole transition isn't isn't uh, it's just terrible. But Biden has handled it well. You know, Trump. The, the way it works is the president typically the the authority to grant the president elect new offices and there's about six and a half million i think for staff for the 60 some days you have between the election and the swearing in um and you know what if he doesn't get it from transition he's going to get it from private donors which is what he's doing right now mm -hmm. and maybe they'll be paid back and maybe they won't uh, but you know this transition director does have to follow some signals and um you know i know that she consulted uh the the uh, uh, transition, the head of the GSA, uh, when George W. Bush and Al Gore were locked in, you know, they did not begin the transition for, uh, I can't remember whether it was 17 days it was, or 35 days. It was 36 but, days. 
36 days. Yep. So it took some time, but you know, these guys are planning and, and, you know, separate to all this, there is a, a totally, there's a presidential commission with staff that's funded to think through all these issues and not to tell people what to do, but to give them lists of, of jobs that can be filled and in kind of an order and, and resources and all of that. And, and that's been going on for a long time. So Biden has had that dump, uh, just like Trump got that dump. Uh, and, and, you know, I thought it was interesting the other day, um, Biden correctly said, I don't need the briefings. Um, I, there are people who were in the administration, uh, two weeks ago, like Mark Esper, who can give him a briefing and, um, and it's just there's a symbolism of it more than the reality of it. Yeah, and he's, he seems important. to be hiring a lot of Obama people, too. Like, he, he, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like um, – Well, so, they've only been out of the job three and a half years. And right. believe me, not much changes in Washington in three and a half years. It's basically all been in stuff. carbonite because Trump has never ended his campaign. I mean, so one of the things that I, I'm concerned about in – uh, and we can talk about foreign policy next, and this tees that up, is that in the 9-11 Commission report, one of the um, c- citations for why 9-11 happened was that 36-day gap in the transition, and they missed key intel during that period that led to um, something. I forget what the specific thing was, but it was a, a key piece of why 9-11 happened was the failed transition. And you've got people coming in now that are going to be two, three, four months behind. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's something that happens, God forbid, Joe Biden is not necessarily, uh, when it comes to making decisions on foreign policy and his track record of votes, not really, uh, not really has made the best of decisions. So I'm hoping that, that, you know, and it's also fascinating. I've never been fond of his foreign policy. So, yeah. Um, um, But, you know, we've talked about this before. I think, I do think he's had a table set up for him with a lot, lot of interesting ingredients that will allow him a lot of interesting flexibility. So on China, everybody supports bashing China. Um, now he's got all of these uh, tariffs. Um, is he going to relax some? I don't know. But I, you know, the fact that they're there means he can only make it better for the Chinese. And for that, he should get something. There's great and bargaining chips he, now. Yeah, absolutely. So there will be, there is going to be that situation. It's true um, on just about everything. He can go back to the climate talks if he wants, and everybody will say, "Thank God you're here." Um, but you know, he ought to get something for that too. The reality is, the climate um, uh, talks and the outcomes were all imbalanced. You know, you have these countries like China and India and others who are just spewing it out and. They, they need to get control of it. They, they put out a lot more than we do. And, and so Trump had, had a little reason there. Um, but there are lots of things you can do to get other people's cooperation, which, you know, that's really what we've been talking about this whole time. He prefers to operate alone. Yeah, I mean, there would be we're great, first. There'd be great negotiations with the Iran deal, with TPP, with the Paris Accords, totally. all that stuff. But well, the people they, that cut all those deals are the people that are probably going to be Secretary of State and UN ambassador. You know, so it's not necessarily that. I mean, they thought they were good deals to begin with. So who knows? It, it, you could be right, but they also could. Well, not. the Trans-Pacific Agreement is going to be interesting because the Chinese have just pulled together a major equivalent to that that includes japan and australia which were our two major trading partners for that part of the world and vietnam and all the others so i think that one's going to be more difficult uh that won't rectify itself soon but i think some of the other things will and um 
And then, of course, yeah, it you know, the, back to the uh, Mnuchin thing. Basically, a lot of people think he's deliberately trying to tie um, Biden's hands with this, give him less flexibility. And of course, they made the point that George W. Bush uh, and uh, and and George H. W. Bush before him and others have done all they can to give presidents some flexibility. I mean, uh, W didn't come, didn't finish the auto bailout basically because he wanted Obama to be able to decide if that was what he wanted to do. So, um, and you know, that is the, the um, and this is where, where, um, where Biden will not lose from not having a transition yet is, um, you know, when you do a transition, you send a team of people in, they interview all of the major people, they put together briefing books, of what's going on and um, what the major expenditures are and all that. And, you know, that's stuff that people who haven't been in the agency can tell you about. So he'll be okay on that. What he won't be so okay on is things like secret deals. So, you know, we know there are uh, purported to be secret codicils to this Afghan deal. And, And of course, Trump is pulling the rug out from under any leeway we have to negotiate there. Um, uh, in order to fulfill his promise, which everybody agrees with. Most people would like to be out of Afghanistan and everywhere else, but responsible people know you can't exactly, you know, cut and run. Uh, uh, you've got to actually, you know, you want a negotiated outcome of some sort. And um, so he's not going to know that because that whatever that is, is not commonly known. And it's the kind of thing that Mike Pompeo would know. And of course, I'm sure um, Pompeo will tell um, uh, uh, these guys, and I have to believe that this woman, who I think is, you know, the GSA administrator, is kind of between a rock and a hard place. I suspect uh, once uh, once uh, Pennsylvania certifies and, Fl- and the Florida certified, Georgia certified, I don't know the Arizona is certified yet, but once that handful of seven states have certified, she'll say he is presumptive. Um, uh, president-elect and i'm guessing that's in the next you know 10 to 12 days i would bet they wait until december 18th or or when the electoral college when the electors are decided i mean i, I bet they drag they might, this out as long they as might possible. well but i think i think she will i think she's likely there's a high probability i think she'll do it once these handful of states have certified that th- their electors have been selected by virtue of the vote. Do you think any of these spineless Republicans will actually start putting pressure on her to do it? Any of these what? Spineless Republican weakling. No. Well, they're sort of (laughs) sneaking out there bit by bit. The interesting thing coming, of course, is the Georgia race. Uh, You know, two Senate races, and normally um, Republicans win runoffs in Georgia. They have historically. But, uh, you know, the Democrats have done massive, massive uh, registration campaigns, and I suspect they're and they they're running the money right now to to do that. And if um, the Democrats lost those two seats, um, uh, I mean the Republicans lost two seats. There'd be a, a tied Senate, which would be brokered by the new Vice President, and that would be uh, Kamala Harris uh, uh, or Kamala Harris, as Purdue called her down there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> There's a few, and, few more K's added to his Kamala yeah, Harris, yeah. Kaka, right? Right. Um, so, uh, and then we see that uh, uh, the one of the two now has COVID and is going to be uh, stuck in for another ten days, which kind of hurts her campaigning. Um, so 
it's going to be interesting. And when did the, that when happens did, January 6th, I think, right? As a yeah, you as a Republican, you must just like sit back and go. All right, when did we become the Three Stooges? <laughs> I, I, I do. I think that's a great analogy. I it is. It's an insanity. And but I can't say that I'm happy with any of the leadership of the last eight or ten years in sure. the party. You know, I think uh, uh, McConnell. I. Uh, I for some people he's done a fabulous job. The judges thing, of course, is very meaningful to people on, on the uh, you know the anti-abortion crowd and um, the you know some others gun control the gun crowd and all that and you know they are a part of the Republican uh, heritage, but the modern heritage. But they are not all Republicans, and I think good conservative Republicans would like to see good stable. Um, government and institutions that work and they'd like to see us work with our friends and, and, uh, and uh, treat people reasonably fairly. Um, that's conservative. But, but, the, but the problem I don't is, see it. The, I know but the problem is your primary voters, your base. I mean, they, oh, yeah, they are right. the problem. If totally. you think about Senate yeah. majorities, you think about Christine O'Donnell, Todd, Todd Aiken, yeah. you think about Richard Murdoch here in Indiana, you think about, Oh, you know, Sarah Palin, you crazy. think about all the different choices that have been made, there would have been massive majorities for Republicans, you know, and if Donald Trump, I mean, the undervote for Trump, he he had 354,000 less votes in the Senate races where there were Senate or gubernatorial candidates. Right. I mean, he that's right. You, you know, and those are Republicans who split their ticket. The gut, and left. The gut of the the base voter in the GOP is totally wrong and leading that party in the wrong direction. And there's nobody that can really seem to, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure Ben Sass. I mean, somehow Ben Sass is a controversial figure to the left and the right. I don't. I mean, that's the, the stuff that just blows <laughs> well, ben, my mind. I, I like Ben Sass, and I, yeah. you know, I know know him slightly. You know, I briefed him and the Council on Foreign Relations and stuff and with several other people. But I, I do think he, I think he is too timid on important things. You know, he, there are yeah. things he will take a stand on, but I, at least he gets out there and I, I will give him that. But I think he, he's, he, do, he doesn't project an image of strength about doing it. Romney, I think, you know, is, is taking the position of an elder statesman. I wouldn't be surprised to see Romney run again, frankly, yeah. 2024. So I was thinking that today too. Yeah, he seems to be vocal in the in the right spots. Um, yeah, but again, I the, just don't know that he could. Yeah, he could uh, deal with the Trumpsters. And of course, the speculation is that if Trump doesn't run, Don Jr. is going to run or Ivanka. I thought so. the analysis from the niece who said that Donald Trump will never put himself in a position to lose again, and yes, so he will I, not run. Well, that could be true. Yeah. I, I think that's probably right. So well, and I also think he's going to be in a position where he has to rebuild his business, and um, and of course he's got Cy Vance Jr. in New York <laughs> chasing his tax returns, and he's got potential federal suits. Now, um, I my personal, if I were giving Joe Biden advice, I would say shut off all the federal laws, the suits, um, stop talking about him, uh, let him try to figure out his business, uh, instruct Cy Vance to leave him alone. Um, and you go do your administration now, Trump. I think he's going to spend the first two years trying to rebuild the business, and I think he's probably going to go try to buy a TV network and uh, become a media figure with Steve Bannon. Um, you know, but I think, um, and, and then you have to worry about that. But 
Why, uh, why buy a TV network when you can just license your name to it? Which is, uh, would would Trump it be network? Would it be obstruction of justice for Biden to get involved in the Trump lawsuits and and all that stuff? No. I mean, okay. no. I I think he you know the president can always um, can, can always uh, has new priorities. Every new president has new priorities, right? And whether it's a direct order or whatever, uh, there are plenty of ways to to just get past that stuff or, or to offer, um, a deal, you know, and of course what you, you know, I'm sure you've read that supposedly the deal that, that, uh, will, will happen is Biden is going to offer Trump, um, uh, uh, a deal to shut all these suits off for his, uh, going quietly into the night and, and that Trump wants that. And I, I just can't see it. It, it cost Ford a lot to let Nixon go. It cost him his his. I mean, he's the only president that's president without being elected. I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's really that pardoning. I mean, you know this better than I. But in a lot of ways, it seems like that would be the better option for the country to move on. Is just to let this guy go. Like, let's move on. Let's. And Biden is that type. If it were. Harris or Cory Booker or somebody who are younger, they may they may want to use that as a, a him as a scapegoat. But I could see Biden going for the good of the country. I'm just going to let this go and let's move on. But but I will say uh, Biden is a he is a lifetime long politician. When he does that, he's making a calculus. Right. And it's it. He may calculate that it's good for the country. But first and foremost, he's going to try to figure out what's good for Joe Biden. And that's what Ford did too. He's like, I don't want us yeah. talking about Nixon. I want to be in the headlines, not him. Right. And and yeah, that's you know, as you know, we, we know I was in the presidential clemency board. It was what he tried to do to mitigate some of that for the Vietnam vets. So, well, so I, anyway, I want to ask. Going to be interesting. You voted for that uh, CIA. Uh, you know, I've never forgiven you for for voting for that CIA <laughs> kid in the last election. Evan McMullen. Yes. Who did you vote for this time? If you'd like to, say. I voted for your favorite libertarian, Joe Jorgensen. All right, Jor- Jorgensen. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. In fact, a lot of my friends did. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, totally. My my never Trump friends. Did. Uh, <laughs> a lot of mine did. Um, many, m- most probably voted for Biden. Um, but, you know, I made the calculation. I'm here in Virginia. It's going to go for Biden. My vote isn't going to sway it one way or the other. If I thought my vote would really sway it, I might have held my nose and voted for the first Democrat ever to get rid of Trump. But I didn't have to. Good. Well, that's I whipped good, out. Good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but your, 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 your candidate didn't do so well. Nah, that's, we're, we have an upcoming episode on, on all the reasons why. Um, and nor did the Greens candidate. And the Greens were at 3.5% last time, if I remember. It's hard. It's You know, people are not willing to, quote-unquote, throw their vote away in an existential threat election like we just had, where the media is so hell-bent on getting rid of this guy that they're never going to give Jorgensen any time. They're never going to have a Hawkins no. on. Oh, I never you know. saw Jorgensen on the tube. Yeah, ever. no. I mean, and I, I watch every night, hours, it, and in the morning, hours. She, she did not have the gravitas of even Gary Johnson, uh, you know, so that didn't help. Gary Johnson had been in the government. Yeah, but the media is, the media was not taking any chances on getting Trump out of office, in my opinion. Um, Well, and remember, in the last election, in in, um, in 2016, no one believed Trump could win. Right, exactly. So so that's why, you know, you can vote for the Libertarian or the Green or the whatever. It's safe. McMullen, whatever. 
All right, final final wrap up. I know that you probably have not been traveling too much, but we always end with dining in DC or events that you, yeah. if, if you're ever allowed to travel to the nation's capital, make, maybe you get the vaccine and your microchip clears and you're allowed into the city. <laughs> uh, where I'm, where I'm should a, people eat? I, I haven't. I don't know when I'm going to get back to DC next, but I did have a really lovely uh, recent. You know, I'm kind of on the East Coast, uh, about an hour and a half from. Uh, Newport News, Hampton Roads, that area where the fleet, the uh, aircraft carrier sits and lots of defense industry down there. And Virginia Beach has two or three really good restaurants. And uh, we have some longtime friends down there from Washington, and they invited us to a restaurant called Terrapin, which once a year does a truffle dinner. And they fly their truffles in from France. And even in COVID, we got truffles flown in from France. So we had, um, we had uh, uh, a ceviche with a truffle and, and a fish, you know how that is fish and uh, a sauce like lime or something. Then we had uh, duck with uh, truffle, which was fabulous. And I um, can't remember what the vegetable was, but the dessert, the dessert was um, a truffle ice cream between two um, uh, chocolate cookies. Mm. And let me just tell you, you may think that mushroom ice cream sounds awful, right? but <laughs> truffle ice cream <laughs> was fabulous. <laughs> so yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And, anyway, that was, what and was they do it once called? a year. If you, if you see it, you should go to it. What was it called again? Well, it's the, the restaurant is Terrapin. Okay. And it's kind of a longstanding older French restaurant there. And we, it was all outdoors, you know, they had a big tent and we go in and everybody, you know, socially distanced and the, the HEPA filters are filtering the air and the fans are going. And actually the funny thing is that there's a small group of people and only that one night. And I was talking with another good friend of mine and, and someone he had known was there at the dinner, probably six feet away from me on that (laughs) same night. So you know, small world. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's great to to catch up and, um, you know, yeah. uh, who knows what we'll, we'll talk about next time. Maybe the second term of Donald Trump after it's all been overturned oh, after yeah. Rudy Giuliani manages <laughs> to succeed. Um, still can't. What a bunch of bozos. <laughs> I, I mean, the hair dye, the, the four seasons, it's just hilarious. I, I would say to people, though, my closing remark to, to you and everyone else is, look, you know, Biden is a seasoned hand. The people around him are seasoned. Most of the people under Trump uh, in the agencies uh, who are responsible are reasonably seasoned. And and um, if they're not in the public eye, uh, the reality is I think they're probably already reaching out to, to uh, the Biden team and, and doing what they should be doing, even if they don't want the boss to know. Mm, that's a that's an interesting thought that I hadn't considered that the 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 swamp monster yeah. is is has a phone yeah. too. <laughs> oh, the swamp has a phone. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening to We Are Libertarians, <laughs> great Rob. To see you. you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you as well, and to our listeners. We thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week.